Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Chip Scoggins. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Howdy. Fresh off the Vikings 34-20 to win against the Detroit Lions, decided win, basically sending a message they're no longer in the basement of the NFC North. Um, you got to wonder, not to go hot take right away, but you got to wonder about Matt Patricia's job after Dalvin Cook sent him on the hot seat in, in quite a game. We'll get into that. We'll get into Adrian Peterson um, looking on as Dalvin has a 200-yard rushing day, the first, I believe, since Adrian five years ago or seven years ago. I can't remember, but we'll get to Ben for the specifics on that comparison. Um, Everson Griffin had a loud day on the field, but a quiet day in the stat sheet. And then we'll kind of look ahead to Monday night's game a little bit in Chicago um, and just kind of what we can take away from these two wins for a Vikings team that's back on track. Um, But just initially, Ben, seeing Dalvin Cook do what he does, it's now four straight games uh, that he's played in full that he's had over 100-plus yards from scrimmage. He's tearing through these defenses. It reminds you of a guy in Adrian who's now 35 and we saw standing on the other sideline on Sunday. Yeah, it does in the sense that they're this dominant, but it's different. I mean, it's because, you know, I was thinking back on this today, just kind of going back through the the compare and contrast exercise with these two guys, given the fact that we saw Adrian there yesterday and, and Adrian and, and Dalvin both made it very clear uh, how much they respect the other one, but they, they do it quite differently because Adrian was, I have to have the, the quarterback under center. I have to be eight yards in the backfield, you know, kind of the traditional stuff, hand me the ball and let me get out of the way. Whereas Dalvin is doing a lot of different things that I think back then <laughs> the Vikings are certainly in the early days of the Mike Zimmer era, the Vikings used to pine for running backs to do. We saw it with pass protection yesterday when he blocked Everson Griffin. We see it with uh, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, and certainly we see it with the way he runs. So he's he's a much more modern version, I guess, and probably a more efficient version, too, of what Adrian was. I just got looking this up. We were talking about this a little bit after the game. Uh, the whole Adrian – the catchphrase that Adrian used to describe his running style was famine, famine, feast, where – there's going to be a lot of carries that get stopped at the line, but then I'm going to pop one and we're going to go from there. And looking back on that MVP season, he had in 2012, he had, he carried the ball 348 times that year. He had 86 carries. So basically a quarter of his workload that lost a total of 90 yards. And which then means his other three quarters, he gained like, almost 2,200 yards on those. He averaged like eight and a half yards a carry on three quarters of his carries and then lost yards on the other quarter. So um, it, it tells you how ridiculous he was that season, but it also tells you a lot. I mean, that's, that's Adrian. He was, you know, kind of these bold flashes where he's great, but he didn't always do things probably how they were drawn up. And you kind of had to deal with that part of it too. Whereas Dalvin, he's only been – He's, I think 15 carries this season where he's either lost yards or had no gain. So he's quite a bit more efficient 
in what he does than Adrian was even at his best. Adrian, I, I kind of thought of it as Adrian's almost like a volume shooter in basketball where he's going to score 40, but some nights he might shoot, you know, 10 of 28, whereas Dalvin is more the efficient. I'm going to average 25, 30 a game, but I'm going to go 10 of 18 from the floor and I'm going to get to the line and I'm not going to necessarily need the ball on every possession to do it. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to watch because they're both great at what they do, but what they do is pretty different in a lot of ways. Yeah, you talk about Dallin's elusiveness, and and everybody will talk. Well, you know, the, the seventy yard touchdown run will get on the highlight packages and, and all that. But and I think Kirk mentioned it after the game, but his very next carry to me was on the pitch back where he I went back and watched it like thirty times a day, where he catches that ball seven yards behind the line of scrimmage, and not only. Yeah. Does have the wherewithal when a guy's right in his face to be able to catch it one where a lot of guys would probably be looking up thinking, Oh, I'm just going to get run over here. You know, he catches the pitch, makes a quick, you know, shuffle to his right and then gets 13 yards. And it's like, how many running backs in the NFL are going to get a 13 yard gain out of that scenario? Maybe him and Alvin Kamara. I mean, there's, <laughs> that's a special ability that he has to turn, you know, nothing into something. And we see it all the time with him that, he just has this ability to make guys miss or slip out of, you know, tough situations. Whereas, you know, Adrian was just going to run through the brick wall and guys are going to be hanging on him and he's dragging him. <laughs> the way Dalvin does it is completely different, but that's what I, I would, you know, I watched it. I wasn't there a lot in, in person. I watched it on tape when I was traveling back yesterday and it, it just feels like he's playing at a different speed than others right now. And it shows up too, not just on, I think like you see the 70 yarders or Chip, you brought up the 13 yarder just there where it's the pitch into the corner blitz. Um, there's like four or five yarders where typically, yeah, if that's another running back that doesn't have that elusiveness, um, it's, that's a negative, yeah, four or five yard play because somebody got blown up up front, missed a block, um, things that happen on every offensive line. And then even still with this group that's playing better for the Vikings, it still happens more often than than you would like um, in Minnesota because this group is still trying to come together and, and play a lot better than they have been. Um, ben, I like your comparison, though, to basketball. If, if Adrian Peterson is Russell Westbrook, this, this just popped in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I think Dalvin Cook is kind of like Steph Curry. Yeah. 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 Where it, it's just he's more efficient. I mean, even in the, the comparison, we'll probably get some reaction given on given how people feel about him, but Carl sure. <laughs> uh, Anthony Towns a little bit where he gets his points in the flow of the offense and you don't need to have him chuck it up every time. Yes. Russell Westbrook would be the, I mean, Gilbert Arenas came to mind too. I, I was in <laughs> DC around the time Gilbert Arenas was playing there. Um, and sort of the quintessential volume shooter where he's going to chuck it up a lot. And, you know, Adrian, was that kind of guy where they'd have games. I can remember in, in 2015 where they had a couple games they lost and Adrian was talking about, we got out coached and that in Adrian's parlance was solely, I didn't get the ball enough, even in games where they were losing, he needed the workload to, cause some of it with him is he just beat you down over time where we, I remember seeing that in Chip, I, I think you would have been, probably at the game two that that 2012 finale against the Packers where he's chasing the yeah. yeah. playoff. N none of those defenders wanted any part of tackling him where mm -hmm. it's just, if I can push him out of bounds, great, but I don't 
really want to try to take this guy down in the open field because he's going to knock me out and I'm going to look stupid and <laughs> we're not going to get the job done. Whereas Dalvin is, is I think, more subtle than that. I, I, the, I'm watching back the, the play in the second quarter yesterday, third and 10, Cousins checks it down to him and he, he throws the brakes on and basically yeah. puts Jamie Collins on skates and ends up getting 17 yards for a first down. And it, you've seen it the last couple of weeks here too, where both on that play, um, th- there was a, a dump off on the two minute drill that he got 29 yards, certainly on the screen last week, they can get big plays on checkdowns to him occasionally where you, if you can do that and you're worried about your quarterback, either thinking too much about downfield throws where he hitches and doesn't let it go, or he throws interceptions. This is a nice alternative to be able to get some chunk plays without the risk. And that's, I mean, certainly that's their offensive line making things happen downfield, but a lot of that is just Dalvin cook being a special player with the ball in his hands. Wasn't that second one too, Ben, like the, the crossing where he winds up with the linebacker behind him. It's like, (laughs) I mean, if, if it's yeah, a- Jamie Collins basically tries to tackle him, and Dalvin basically just stops his feet, and Collins goes. I mean, it almost looks like a cartoon. He just goes yeah. kind of right by him, just kind of, you know, the, the yeah, Chris he- Berman noise would be that whoop. Yeah, I mean, you know, most teams, if you get a linebacker matched up against your running back, you'll take that. But with Dalvin, especially, you know, because, and it's just nice that um, as great as Adrian was, took him off the field on third down. Mm hmm. And to be able to leave Dalvin out there and have another weapon, I mean, it's just – you're right. They're different. Both of them are, were, were and are special in their own way, but it's completely different about how they go about it. Well, I should bring up, too, um, I guess the only thing you got to hold your breath for, right, because, Chip, we were talking before the podcast about the contract and Dalvin yeah. Cook being – really, this was going to be his contract year, and the Vikings are looking pretty smart for signing him to that deal now. Um, right now, Dalvin, over the last, I believe – Five outings, he's averaging 26.2 touches per game, and that includes uh, the Seattle game where he left in the third quarter. So he's getting worked more than basically anybody. And, Chip, what do you have to say to people if yeah. this were to go south because of the workload they're giving him? Well, you still – it still was the right call. And, and I've said that from day one. I don't think you had – they didn't set the market for him. Mm-hmm. He didn't get Zeke money, which he shouldn't have because he wasn't healthy at the time and he hadn't – you know, if, if now if he had played every game and didn't have an injury history, I think you would say, okay, maybe you have to set the mark because this guy's a unique player. But the fact that he had the injury history, I think a compromise on both sides was smart and where they landed was a reasonable deal. And this whole notion of, ah, you don't pay running backs. This is, this is the NFL. You pass it. You, you know, you never give big money to a running back because they're interchangeable. Baloney. They're not interchangeable. Alexander Madison is not Dalvin Cook. He can't do what Dalvin Cook does. So Dalvin Cook is your best offensive player by a mile. Why wouldn't you pay him? (laughs) He's going to get hurt. Isn't their style of play, at least to me, like the style of play, I know you're going to get banged up no matter what kind of running back you are, but he's not an Adrian who needs to run through people. He needs to go run around them. And this isn't a guy who necessarily needs to win by being physical. Yeah, I just just think if you have a unique talent, you got to pay for it. And you can't say – well, you never, you shouldn't ever give, you know, money. I don't say you just throw money at any running back because I wouldn't do that. But when you have a special player like this guy is, it's going to cost you money. And if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. It's not money wasted. It's like, hey, here's what you did. You overspent on your quarterback. That's what you did. You, you gave Anthony Barr 
should you insisted on him coming back and giving him that, that's where you made the mistake, not on your running back. Well, and to the point too, about the workload and the wear and tear, I, I can remember the last couple of years with Adrian, the big talking point was in the early days of North Turner, we want to convert Adrian's, some of Adrian's carries to catches. We wanted him to become a better receiver out of the backfield. So he was more matched up in open field situations where he could win a one-on-one matchup with a linebacker and there'd be plays where he wouldn't get hit. Now, obviously that didn't work out both, I think, because of how the offense was constituted and, and Adrian's skill set. But, you know, looking at this play on that third and 10, you know, Dalvin picks up 17 yards in this dump off. He doesn't get touched. So, and he had a number of those yesterday where he basically is able to get his yardage without anybody hitting him. And, and, you know, an ACL certainly it doesn't preclude that, but injuries that become, you know, if they're soft tissue injuries or things like the shoulder injuries you had last year, where you're getting banged on and, and some of those things, crop up as a result of that if he's able to have some of these touches where he gets his yards and doesn't get hit I mean that is it's a touch and this won't show up in the stats but the the wear and tear of those touches is not the same as 25 touches where they're all in the middle of the line and you're getting hit three or four times and Ben I, mean, I mentioned this to Andrew too before he came on is like I noticed that Two or three times yesterday, I know on one pass, but he ran out of bounds instead of trying to take on yep. a guy who was running up and thinking, okay, I'll get two more yards. Well, maybe that's a sign of you know maturity and, and realizing, like, I don't need to do that. I can run out of bounds, and I can take one less hit off my body. And I don't know if that was conscious or what or saving time or whatever, but it just seemed like he ran out of bounds and didn't try to do something risky or unnecessary, you know? As opposed to? Adrian, Adrian, who's going to, I'm going to, you know, run right through you, you know? Well, the play in the, in the Blair Walsh game where Adrian fumbled was that he had already picked up a first down and was trying to get a couple extra yards and the ball popped out. So he was trying to take on a defender. And I remember talking to him about that afterwards. And he said, that's just me being me trying to get more yards. <laughs> like, okay, but you're, you're deep in your own territory. You've already got first down. It's, it's not yeah. meaningful yardage at that point. Yeah. So what are you gaining by two extra yards? The right. Risk? right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I do agree that, you know, if, if you can get him in space in those situations where he can scamper up the sideline and get out of bounds, it's like, yeah, that's potential one for a big play, but it's also him running and not have to take another hit, you know? Now, before we, kind of wrap this up I the the three of us all covered Adrian this is not to say that you know Adrian wasn't good or Adrian wasn't oh my God, great no. I mean the, the <laughs> second half of that 2012 season I, I he ran for 13 22 in eight games we will not see that happen again he was a singular talent I mm-hmm. but it's that thing where he had some things he did really really well and he had some I mean he's to use another metaphor I suppose he was well, the, the metaphor I've always used is Shaq. I guess I'll stick with the same sport rather than going to baseball. He, he had the things he did really well, and you kind of dealt with the other stuff because he was so great at the things he did. Delvin yeah. is different than that. Hey, he scared – hey, and you know, Ben, Adrian scared defenses. Yep. I mean, he absolutely terrified defense coordinator. He changed the way 
every game plan. I mean, I, I don't want to make this all Gatlin's better age because I'm not going to say that because age is all things. When he was at his prime, there was it was a treat to watch him just oh, gosh. obliterate yeah. defense at that 2012 yep. season. I mean, it's, it's kind of become a cliche, but force of nature. He felt like a force of nature that year in terms of just willing that team to win. And so, I, I, yeah, this, this is not about trying to put Dallas on a pedestal above Adrian. Well, comparisons, too, are, are kind of by era because Adrian was born of – I mean, that's a different era running back. Sure. That's – I mean, I want Dalvin – I want Dalvin now 10 times out of 10 just because of the style of running back he is. Um, but in 1990, I want Adrian probably. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but anyway, um, but let's talk quickly about Everson Griffin coming back to Minnesota because um, him kind of hyping himself up before the game, talking about how Mike Zimmer was calling him just a good player – um, it carried over in U.S. Bank Stadium only in the sense that he was still hyped up, but there was no hard feelings. Um, he went over to Mike Zimmer after the game. He talked to teammates and coaches and trainers before, during the game, um, from the sideline, from across the line of scrimmage. Um, he was basically talking the entire game. Um, so, But as, as his former Vikings teammate said, that's the Everson we knew, and they were happy to see him in such a good place. So... Um, I guess, Ben, what did you think of Everson coming back? And I guess to interject my own opinion, I think it was basically the role I would have expected a pretty quiet game in terms of his, what he's able to do on the stat sheet. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, for him to talk about all the things you said this week, it's like, yeah, that sounded great. But the reality is you're starting with a new team. You haven't played yet. You're not going to come in and be uh, the guy that's playing 65 snaps. So yeah, I mean, I think it was probably what we should have expected. It was a fun, you know, subplot, I guess, for the week, and it was it was in, interesting to go watch him uh, at the beginning of the game yesterday and talking to people in his camp this week. That was not for show for us on Thursday or whatever day he talked to reporters. He was fired up all week about coming back for this, and some of that is playing your old team, but some of it is. I think a little bit of probably how it ended. I, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but there, there certainly was, it, it wasn't, it didn't end badly, but there was a feeling of, okay, uh, we're both sides are kind of ready to, to move on. We've, we've had our fun together and now it's um, the relationship is, is kind of going a different direction. And he was very cordial and friendly with Mike Zimmer, other coaches, former teammates after the game yesterday. So I, I don't think there's any hard feelings, but, I do think they were ready to move on. And the sense I got this week was that yes, Mike Zimmer was involved in trying to get him back, but it sounded like his heart may not have been in it quite in the way that um, you would expect. And I, that all I think is, is in the back of his mind. So um, that, that sounded like how he was all week behind closed doors as well. It was just chomping at the bit to get out there and, um, you know, maybe it'll be different at the end of the season if he's still in Detroit and has a bigger role at that point. We'll see. But yeah, the the uh, the energy that went into it was probably more than the role was ever going to match up with. Yeah, I was at, I was out of pocket last week, but far it struck me as a guy who was probably a little bitter that he wasn't embraced to come back at the beginning of the year, like, you know, almost felt like they moved on from, like, 
I think Zimmer could have said he was a great player and Everson would have been, what, great, that's it? You don't think I was a superstar? Like, well, it wasn't about good, great. It was more about, hey, I want to show these guys that they shouldn't have given up on me or whatever, if, if that's the right way to describe it. Because it was like, really? You're going to get that mad over him? Just That's how Mike Zimmer is. He, you know, he's a good player. It's like, I don't think Zimmer <laughs> – there was no way he meant that as a calculated slide against Everson as, as much as he loved Everson and stuck by him and did for him and helped him. Um, I don't think it was an intentional slight by any means. I think Zimmer was even surprised by it. I mean, I'm sure he was. Friday, he's like, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just answering a question. And uh, yeah, I, I don't. And Zimmer's not the guy. I mean, we heard Gary Kubiak do this earlier this season with JJ Watt, where it's kind of these warm hellos to yeah. his former player via a press conference. You know, he's like, tell him I said hello. I, I think the world of him, all this kind of stuff that's a different style than what Mike Zimmer does when he talks about former players, especially when he's going against them. Uh, now we will get the ultimate test of this in three weeks when Teddy Bridgewater comes to town. But uh, yeah, typically we don't see Mike Zimmer go out gushing about his former players when they're about to play against him. Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater was a good quarterback for us. <laughs> <laughs> nice kid. Teddy Bridgewater was a good son to me. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I love him like son. a, st- I love him like son. a stepson. Yeah, <laughs> you can be a stepson. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, before we break, I guess we should talk quick about moving forward a little bit to to Chicago because the Vikings go and take this act on the road to Monday night at Soldier Field, where nothing ever goes wrong. Um, <laughs> they always play clean games. They're not clockwork. That's right. It's like clockwork. It's yeah. I, they're not two and, and ten in their last twelve trips. Um, <laughs> Everybody makes the bus on time. Remember that one? Wow! Yeah, oh, yes, twenty twelve. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yep. we do. <laughs> They've never lost to Chase Daniel there. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, how much comes home we... happy? Nobody <laughs> skips out on a couple of days of practice afterwards. Nobody think... quits. How many? How job. many? How many? How many tents? Quiet locker rooms have we walked into that stadium over the years? Andrew's it, trying to sum it up, and we just keep coming up with more memories of things is, that have happened in that building in the it is, however long we've all covered the team. I can't tell you how many times I walked into that same locker room yep. every yep. year. And every single time it's just, yeah, super quiet. And I think my the one that I go back to was I think it was 2013, where yes. lost in the last second. Yep. And 100%. Yeah. Still so, the most I, tense locker room I've ever been in after a game. I think Kevin Williams or somebody called out the defensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator had to talk after the game, which never happens. Um, mm-hmm. Basically to address the fact that the players were saying that they botched the end of the game. Jay Cutler threw a touchdown over somebody. Chris, to, Chris Cook. Chris Cook. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. To, uh, was it Jeffrey or Marshall when they had both of them? Um, no, Jeffrey and Marshall. Were on the other side. I remember this play like, like it was yesterday. Jeffrey and Marshall were on the other side of the field. I was Bennett. Earl Bennett and Martellus Bennett that basically Cook got caught because they ran like a wheel route behind one of them. Cook got caught trying to cover the other one. Didn't you and I go ask Harrison Smith about this play in the locker room a couple of years ago, Andrew? I I, I think it's one of those things. You were asking about Soldier Field in general, and I was just like, hey, what happened on that play? And Because that's been one of those mysteries that for as long – and that was my second year on the beat, and this is year nine. And that game still there, – there's certain games that just fascinate me over time. Yeah. <laughs> that certainly is one of them, that week two game in 2013. 
Well, and that led to that year totally spiraling. We can move on from yes. this. That led to that year because that was week two, and then week three they lost to the Browns, who had just traded Trent Richardson and were giving up on their entire year. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Was that the was that the year with uh, Dallas too, where we go in there and that loss? Yes. And yep. that's uh, Aaron Henderson and some guys were. You could tell something was about to explode. You guys have it mixed up. It was Aaron Henderson in Chicago, and in Dallas, it was Kevin Williams. It was Kevin Williams. That's Kevin Williams and yeah. B. Rob. Yeah, they called it. They out. were mad about rushing four, and the Cowboys came back and won the game. That's that what it was, was. Yeah, pondered through a hail mary that got knocked down off the twenty yard line at the, at the, end at of the, the game. fifteen year. Yeah, yeah. If that, if if those, I think it was that year. If games were fifty nine minutes long, they would have been like ten and five or something. Yes. 10, five. <laughs> that's yep. right. That's yep. right. I know. That There's like true. five blown leads, right? In the, in the last minute. minute. Yes, you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Oh wow. Anyway, so nothing goes wrong in Chicago. Quick, <laughs> what can what can we take away from these two wins against? Um, and I think it really comes down to the Vikings offense because we can talk about improvements on the defense, but I don't know if Nick Foles, David Montgomery, and that Chicago offense is scaring anybody. So can this Vikings offense sustain what it's been doing against a Chicago defense that is still very good? Uh, ben, what do you think? Uh, I I don't know. I I honestly I'm skeptical of this one because. They what they've been doing is going through Dalvin Cook at a a workload that basically <laughs> they need if if they're going to sustain this he has to be able to be that productive again and recent trips down to Chicago have not allowed them to do that I mean in fact the last two well two years ago was the famous uh, we didn't run the ball enough on Sunday night that was Cousins got out there and said they're not the reason this game is flexed we are and then they they weren't able to do anything and um Zimmer then kind of took his feud with John D. Filippo who by the way is now the Bears quarterbacks coach uh he took that public and break, breaking news today the Star Tribune yep. has learned yep I'll let you say it because you're more excited oh. about this than I am <laughs> oh I'm smiling ear to ear Kyle Sloter yes, got signed Kyle Sloter got signed with the practice <laughs> squad that is the secret <laughs> weapon you know Adrian Peterson he just called Dalvin Cook a lethal weapon Kyle Slaughter is going to be the secret weapon in this game. Oh, boy. Weapon of mass destruction. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, that 2018 game, they wanted to run the ball, and that kind of was the beginning of the end, or at least the public beginning of the end, between Zimmer and DiFilippo. Last year, they weren't able to run it much better, from what I recall. And, well, yeah, last year was the one where they went down there and lost, and the offense basically could do nothing. And then Thielen was in the locker room after the game, talking about being frustrated and that was the game that led cousins to apologize while Diggs was uh plotting <laughs> his exit i mean good grief it, it, there's so many you can do a book there. just on social field what is going yeah i mean it's uh but yeah i in terms of being able to extend that game plan i don't know because i think that's going to be a hard group to run on um i think Cousins is going to have trouble with that defense. I, to me, this game, you know, if we're going to talk about you know, they, they've had these two wins and people are starting to get excited, can they make a run? This game's going to tell you because the Bears are struggling. They've lost three in a row. If you can go down there and beat them like a good team would do, um, then I think it's okay to say they're serious. If you don't win it, not only does it raise that question, it also makes the path a lot harder. We, we spent the whole last week talking about the path to victory. Uh, the, the path to 270, I suppose, is the path to nine wins. <laughs> if you don't win this game, you now have six losses, which means you either need to you need to win out on against all of your patsies, which would include the Bears another time, 
And then you also would have to beat either Tom Brady or Drew Brees on the road in December. So, and that, that, you know, the Bucks got undressed last night, but that defense is going to give them trouble. I think if it's healthy in that game and that Saints game on Christmas day is going to be a tough one. Now they, they won last year, but it's a completely different team. So if you don't win this, your margin for error now is very small because you have to win one of those games just to get to nine in addition yeah. to winning all your other ones. So if you want to be taken seriously, this is a must have. That's it's funny. I was talking to Andrew about that before we got on here is like this game feels really big in terms of perception Yep. and, and how we view this team in this season. You go down there and win and you, and you keep playing the way you have and run the ball. Then all of a sudden you look at the next three games at home. You're like, okay, this get on a roll here to where you're relevant and the playoffs seem realistic. And, but if you do, if you go down there and have your typical trip to Chicago and it's just disaster. And, and, which and, is the typical know, trip to Chicago. Which, which is, is yeah. Which, you know, I, I think this team's probably still capable of one of those Atlanta clunkers, you know, against a team where you think they, they should win because their defense is, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I think that if you, if they are able to go there and win, and I think the narrative continues to change. And the way we look about this team um, could change because then you could say, okay, they have some close losses to Seattle and Tennessee. You know, maybe the Atlanta game was the outlier clunker. They're starting to get better. They're figuring things out. They got their identity. Uh, so I think there is a ton riding on this game in terms of the direction this season is going to go, the rest of the season is going to go. Yeah, and I'm, I'm on Ben's side in terms of being skeptical and not just because we're, you know, cynical sports writers who covered this team, but also because of the defensive front in Chicago, the history of issues um, that this Vikings offense has against that Bears defense. Um, I believe the Vikings offensive line's gotten better. I think they are opening more creases for Dalvin Cook. I think it is noticeably different from the Falcons game where even without Dalvin, they ran for just 30-some yards. Um, but we're talking about Akeem Hicks. We're talking about Khalil Mack. We're talking about um, – I think Robert Quinn is still healthy and playing for them. Uh, maybe he's not. But even if he's not, they've got depth. They've got strength in that front seven. They always have. And I think – even without Vic Fangio, you've seen them continue to be really good up front. And I think that's the Vikings kryptonite. If you face a Grady Jarrett, if you face one of these really good rushers, and then you get behind the eight ball and then Kirk Cousins needs to win a low scoring game. I just don't know if they're really built to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. even a high, high scoring game, whatever. I just don't think they're built to kind of squeak out a game against that kind of defense. And I got to imagine their pride's getting challenged this week too, right? There in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think so. That's a good point, too. Coming off three straight losses and, and really Matt Nagy kind of being in a spot where he's got to start kind of stating a case for his job. Um, and Slaughter Revenge game. Slaughter <laughs> Revenge, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, the DeFilippo Revenge game, I think it's Yeah. But Slaughter yeah, that, That'll be fascinating, too. All right, well, we'll get more into the Chicago game on Monday night uh, on Thursday when the Vikings uh, start practicing for that game. Please check out StarTribune.com for all of our coverage and download the Access Vikings podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe you should get off the podcast.